You know, uh, today we're going to talk about the fruit of faithfulness. That is a fruit you will see in people who really love the Lord and uh, are trying to walk with the Lord. Now, we know that in the Bible there are many great examples of faithfulness. I think of Noah who was faithful to build an ark as God had commanded him, even though I'm sure people thought he might be crazy uh, building this huge vessel and predicting that God was going to flood the entire earth. You know, Joshua was also faithful to carry out the Lord's commands to conquer and possess Canaan. Elijah was faithful to bring God's messages, even when it put him in danger of his life. Talk about persecution. Job was faithful to trust God when it seemed that God had abandoned him. We need to trust the Lord through everything. Paul was faithful to spread the gospel while enduring all kinds of persecutions and harm. And we talked about that. We think we've got it tough. <laughs> Just take a look, take out, take a page out of Paul. And of course, you know there are many more, but probably the person we think of most when we think about faith and faithfulness is Abraham. Now, Abram, as he was called before, was obedient to God, and he left the land of his fathers to go to Canaan. Hebrews eleven eight says, "By faith." Abraham, when called to go a place, to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. <laughs> Abraham didn't have a clue where he was actually going. Why am I going there? Well, because the Lord told me to. He continued in faith, and God blessed him with many riches and herds. And, you know, when Lot and Abra Abraham had to split, Abraham gave Lot the first choice, and Lot took the best. Abraham took his portion without protest, but notice what he did. He went and he built an altar to the Lord to worship him. He wasn't angry with Lot. He went up into the hills and worshiped the Lord. He was later faithful to rescue his nephew Lot from warring kings. He was faithful to ask the Lord not to destroy Sodom if only 10 righteous people could be found, which they weren't. Uh, you know, he figured, he thought, well, Lot must have witnessed to his family. They must all believe in the Lord. Uh-oh. Didn't happen. And really only Lot was found to be righteous. He was, uh, Abraham was faithful to believe God for the promise of a son by his wife, Sarah, who was Isaac. Hebrews 11, 11, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. He was faithful to give his birthright to his second son, Isaac, as the Lord instructed him. He was also faithful to take him up on a mountain to sacrifice him. But the Lord, having tested his faithfulness, provided a ram for that offering. 
Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God can raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Of course, this is all a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Abraham was faithful through his lifetime, God made promises to him that he would be the father of the great nation Israel. In fact, two great nations. Not only that, but through his offspring, the whole world would be blessed. Acts 3.25, and you are the heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. You know, we can all thank Abraham for the blessings that have come down to us because of his faithfulness. We thank the Lord for Jesus Christ, who came to uh, sacrifice himself in our place and make the blood offering that's necessary to forgive our sins if we would just believe in him and commit ourselves to him. Well, I wanted to give you some stories of faithfulness, and this one is from Charles Spurgeon, and the title of it is Faithful in the Small Things. Charles Spurgeon preached to thousands in London each Lord's Day, yet he started his ministry by passing out tracts and teaching a Sunday school class as a teenager. When he began to give short messages to the Sunday school, God blessed his ministry of the word. And he was invited to preach in out-of-the-way places in the countryside. And he used every opportunity to honor the Lord. He was faithful in the small things, and God trusted him with the greater things. I am perfectly sure, Spurgeon said, that if I had not been willing to preach to those small gatherings of people in small country places, I should never have had the privilege of preaching to thousands of men and women in large buildings all over the land. Remember our Lord's rule, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's a story on uh, DVBS, and it's called Faithful in the Long Haul. Norman Geisler, as a child, went to a VBS because he was invited by some neighbor children. He went back to the same church for Sunday school classes for 400 Sundays. Each week, he was faithfully picked up by a bus driver. Week after week, he attended the church, but never made a commitment to Christ. Finally, during his senior year in high school, after being picked up for the church over 400 times, he did commit his life to Christ. Now, what if the bus driver had given up on Geisler on the 395th trip? What if the bus driver had said, this kid's going nowhere spiritually. Why waste any more time on him? Hmm. There's a story about Robert Moffat, faithful to preach the gospel. An elderly preacher was rebuked by one of his deacons one Sunday morning before the service. Pastor, said the man, something must be wrong with your preaching and your work. There's only been one person added to the church in a whole year. 
and he's just a boy. The minister listened, his eyes moistening and his thin beard trembling. I feel it all, he replied, but God knows I've tried to do my duty. On that day, the minister's heart was heavy as he stood before his flock. As he finished the message, he felt a strong inclination to resign. After everyone else had left, that one boy came up to him and asked, do you think I work, if I worked hard for an education, I could become a preacher or perhaps a missionary? Again, tears welled up in the minister's eyes. Ah, this, heal, this heals the ache I feel, he said. Robert, I see the divine hand now. May God bless you, my boy. Yes, I think you will become a preacher. Many years later, an aged missionary returned to London from Africa. His name was spoken with reverence. Nobles invited him to their homes. He had added many souls to the church of Jesus Christ, reaching even some of Africa's most savage chiefs. His name, Robert Moffat, the same Robert who years before had spoken to the pastor that Sunday morning in the old Scottish church. Yeah. My prayer is, Lord, help us to be faithful. Then give us the grace to leave the results to you. This one's called the starfish, faithful to care about even one. I recently read about an old man walking the beach at dawn who noticed a young man ahead of him picking up starfish and flinging them into the sea. Catching up the, with the youth, he asked what he was doing. The answer was that the stranded starfish would die if left in the morning sun. But the beach goes on for miles and miles, and there are millions of starfish, countered the man. How can your effort make any difference? The young man looked at the starfish in his hands and then threw it into the safety of the waves. Well, it makes a difference to this one, he said. This one's called, called Faithful to One Master Only. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. That's the famous song. And it's based on a couple of verses in the Bible. 1 John 5, 4 through 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That God came in the flesh. But faith can't be split between the things of this world and God. If it is, then it's not really faith in God alone. By splitting our faith between God and money, we're saying to God, I don't trust you to take care of my needs. Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, God has promised to take care of those who trust him. Those who have faith in him, just like he takes care of everything else. Let's face it, God created this universe. He sustains every atom of this universe. And he sent his only son to die for all men. Colossians 1, 16 through 20 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Since God has done it all and continues to do it all, we really ought to place all our trust in him. You know what? He takes care of his creation. Why can't we trust him to take care of his creatures? We are more than just creatures, though. We are sons of God. We are children of God through Jesus Christ. Luke 12, 22 through 31. Then Jesus said to his disciples, uh, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So don't be double-minded. A double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. James 1, 5 through 8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. I've said this often. If you want wisdom, if you want to understand what's going on, ask the Lord. That is one uh, request that he does honor. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. You know, the Lord wants our complete trust in him. We need to choose to trust in the Lord fully. Choosing to have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ won't work either. Let me give you some examples of the kind of trust the Lord wants us to have. And this one's called two rowboats. Imagine that you're out in the middle of the lake and there are two rowboats and you are standing with one foot in each boat. One boat, however, is full of holes and is sinking fast. It's obvious that unless you do something, you will be soon be in the lake. 
The boat with the holes represents ourselves with all the leaks caused by sin. The boat without holes represents Christ. It should be obvious that with one foot in each boat, we shall end up in the same place that we would have ended up if we'd had both feet in the boat marked self. The only safe place to be is to have both feet firmly planted in the boat marked Christ. We need to be walking with Christ. I actually just wrote an article and I just put it up on my site about Enoch. It just really struck me. Here's a guy who, amidst the violence and the sexual perversion going on in the ancient world, he chose to walk with the Lord, just like Adam and Eve had before they got thrown out of the garden. How pleased the Lord must have been, and we find out he was because he took him. The second uh, illustration is called the cliff. Suppose that you're trying to cross from one cliff to another, which is 100 feet away. It's 5,000 feet down to the rocks below. You have, however, one, a one-inch thick piece of rope, which is capable of holding up several tons. There's, there's a difficulty, though. You have only 50 feet of rope. But I say, don't worry. I have 50 feet of thread. We can tie my thread to your rope and then tie that to the trees on either cliff, and then you can go across. You decline my offer, and I respond, what's the matter? Do you not trust the rope? Yes, you say, I trust the rope, but I don't trust the thread. Well, let's change the story then and make it 90 feet of rope and only 10 feet of thread. You're still not comfortable. Then suppose we make it 99 feet of rope and only one foot of thread or one inch of thread. You see, if you have one inch of thread, you'll be just as dead on the rocks below as if you tried to cross on a hundred feet of thread. The rope obviously represents what Christ has done and the thread rep represents what we have done. You know, we can do nothing to save ourselves. And if we trust in works or in the things of this world, we will die. We need to trust in Christ alone. Salvation is by grace, through grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone. We need to recognize that it's not only by the grace of God that we're saved. When we realize that, we also realize what wretched sinners we are. This realization almost always brings us to repentance, or it should. Then we must build up our faith in Christ. The indwelling Holy Spirit will help us with that. But we must not go back to trusting in the things of this world or our own righteousness to save us. Our righteousness is like filthy rags to God. We must allow God to give us new white clothes, and then we must keep them from being soiled by the world. God requires that we have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We must believe and continue to believe. Revelation 21.7, he who overcomes 
will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. You know, God sent his son to die for our sins. We cannot do anything to buy salvation. It's through Jesus Christ alone. But God does expect us to have one thing, faith. Faith is a victory. Faith is a victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. I love that song. What a great song. And it's absolutely based on what the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm.